Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, court is in session, sir. The all-star starters have been revealed, so want to go over our makes and misses from that. Also, speaking of the all-star game, they have finalized the format, so I want to talk about some of the early picks for three-point contests that dumped participants and who we might see winning. Climbing the all-time ladder, LeBron and Chris Paul have both been making strides up respective ladders uh, based on their performances recently. Jamal Murray and Joel Embiid, some of the young guys, have been scoring career highs. It feels like we're announcing new career highs for everybody every week. We have some star injuries with some people out, and we will do everyone's favorite segment, Lead Their Case. But starting, all-star starters revealed. Let's talk about some of the makes, some of the misses that we had. For a lot of the starters, for both sides, I really do feel like I mentioned earlier, I didn't really think that there was too much wiggle room realistically on some of the picks. Like, for example, everybody knew that on the east side, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Giannis, those guys were basically virtual locks to make it, no questions asked. And then on the west, Stephen Curry, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic. I really don't think that you could argue for those guys either. Those guys were also pretty much locks to make it. Um, the one thing that I think that maybe a lot of people would question was Luka Doncic being included as a starter. That to me was a little bit questionable. And even Luka himself agreed that it was probably Damian Lillard that should have gotten the nod over him. I still think that Luka Doncic should be an all-star selection. I just don't think that he should have been a starter compared with what Damian Lillard is doing this year. We have, I mean, Luka Doncic is having a pretty good statistical year overall, but his team still is underperforming. And Damian Lillard seemingly hits a game winner every other night. So I think that that's really the only main gripe with me. And then on the East side, um, Kyrie Irving as a starter, he has been having a really good year overall, but has missed a lot of games. I don't know that he would even be the starter over his own teammate, James Harden, given that James Harden is leading the league in assists and seems to be just as important to the team's success. So there's some, some wiggle room there. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I went nine for 10 in terms of my picks. I did have Luca making it. I understand the Dame argument, but I think I had him as a six man um, and being uh, just kicked out basically by Dame and Luca. Um, I mean, by Steph and Luca rather. So Kyrie was the only one that I missed. Um, Kyrie has improved this year and you know, I understand the argument for James Harden in there, but given that he just switched into the East um, and, you know, given Kyrie is still doing really well with having James Harden there, Kyrie has had an amazing shooting year, uh, shooting almost 90% from the free throw line, over 40% from uh, three and close to 60% uh, for from like anything inside of the three. So, Overall, Kyrie's having an amazing year, a very efficient year as a scorer, so I see why he's a starter. Uh, the one that I had right that I'm really happy I had right was Bradley Beal being a starter for the first time in his career. He's definitely needed something like that, some bright spot to the season. Even Scott Brooks was like, this is the, the best news we have had all season because he's an amazing person. So hopefully sad Brad gets glad with some all-star news. Yeah, he's also um, seemingly, I'm not going to say that the Wizards have figured it out or anything, but they are quietly on a four-game winning streak. So it does seem like lately his statistical output is finally starting to translate to wins. So that is nice to see. 
Um, when you're looking at these all-star starters, though, who would you say was the biggest snub, the guy who definitely should have been a starter that didn't get it? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I do think it probably is Dane. Um, but again, I just didn't see I – didn't, I definitely didn't see Steph getting voted out of that. Steph has had an amazing comeback year after being injured last year and has always been a fan favorite year in and year out. I also just feel since Luca has that sort of like international pull that he likely got more of the fan vote as a result of that. And while Dane is a household name, I feel that San Fran and Dallas are likely bigger markets that have more of that international appeal. And so that's why I just felt that those two would likely get more of the fan vote. And it just doesn't really matter what Dame does. He's just not going to supplant them unless he's having a like shoe-in MVP type year. So it's unfortunate for him and he every single year seems to get snubbed, but I just think that's what you're dealing with with, with the fan vote sometimes. Yeah, honestly, it's really crazy when you look at it because we say that Stephen Curry is a, a lock to be a starter this year for the West. But if you're comparing Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard's seasons right now, it's almost virtually the exact same output statistically, like almost across the board. You're looking at Stephen Curry getting 29.9 points a game. Lillard's getting 30, 11 and 12 three-point attempts a game, respectively, shooting 38 and 42% respectively. You know, you got Damian Lillard edging out Curry with almost eight assists per game, but Curry's getting six per game and out-rebounding him by one. So it's really hard to say Damian Lillard actually has a higher plus minus than he does, but Curry gets 0.1 steal more. It's really, really razor edge thin the margin, but I guess for storyline's sake, Stephen Curry does have much less to work with this year. So you got to give him the nod on the East side. I think the biggest snub, and it's just really hard because you can't say that he deserves to be in there more than any of the other guys. But again, Zach Levine's statistical output this year is MVP worthy. Um, compared to many other seasons, 29 points a game, 51% from the field, 42% from three on eight attempts. If I had to pick my snub, it'd be that guy. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully Zach Levine makes the roster. Um, I know that. It, It'd be a uh, shame if he doesn't make it at all, but we'll see what happens. It's just a really yeah. tough, uh, it's a tough year to make it. Yeah, we will see. All right, well, I think we can have a little fun with this and go back to our 2K days. So I'm going to be, uh, actually, I'll leave this up to you. Do you want to be LeBron James or Kevin Durant for- uh, I never want to be LeBron James. Right. <laughs> Honestly, Kevin Durant's kind of a moody guy too, but I've always been an Eastern Conference guy, so I guess I'll be Durant. All right, well, I will be LeBron then. I don't know who's supposed to have first pick, but whoever gets first pick now, uh, we'll get second pick when it comes to the reserves. So I'll also leave this up to you. Do you want first or second pick? I'll go with the second pick. As you long as the second pick, pick gets two consecutive, right? No, you just get the, uh, yep, well, I'll you do the get two consecutive at the end of the starter round and then the first one of the reserve round. All right, fair enough. I'll do the two consecutive. All right, cool. Well, to start, my first pick, I am going to take Nikola Jokic. All right. I'm going to go ahead and take Giannis. 
All right, with my second pick, I am going to take Kawhi Leonard. Honestly, that's a really good pick. I wish I could have him. I'm going to go ahead and just for size, domination, take Embiid. All right. Uh, with my third pick, I'm going to take uh, Mr. Sad Brad Beal. All right. I'll take shooting with Stephen Curry. All right. And for my next pick, I'm going to take Luca, Luca Magic. I'm going to go ahead and take the guy that probably should have been picked, Damian Lillard. Uh, you can't. You can't pick Damian Lillard. You have to take Kyrie. All right. It has to be one of the starters. I guess I have to take Kyrie then. I'll take him. All right. Well, as LeBron, I just couldn't take Kyrie because Kyrie owes me a phone call to apologize for being such an immature uh, guy when he was coming out and saying that I'm not the fourth quarter uh, dominator that Kevin Durant is, even though I've made more fourth quarter shots than Kevin Durant. Honestly, it's strange. It really does seem like uh, (laughs) – it does seem, though, like if you look at it, a lot of the times, except for Dwayne Wade, LeBron James's teammates, they start out loving him, and then by the end, they kind of like throw some shade at him. It always seems like by the end of it, when you play with LeBron for too many years, you almost come to resent the guy slightly. I don't know what it is, but yeah, they do have some weird kind of tension. But for me, as Kevin Durant, I guess the main thing was you want to have a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo and Durant at the same time, because then that gives you two dudes who are both essentially almost seven feet tall guys who can play both inside, outside, and do essentially everything. Having two players like that, I think it'll be just too overwhelming for the Western team to find shots when you have two guys that can do that on defense. And that's like not even including what Embiid does, just camping out in the paint. So when you have these two guys roaming the perimeter and beating the paint, I just don't know how they're going to score. So good luck. I'm predicting the East to win this one. Well, and and with with my logic, I felt having LeBron and Jokic, I have two best passers and distributors on the floor at all times. So there's going to be a lot of ball movement there. You have some firepower with uh, Bradley Beal coming in, uh, as well as Kawhi Leonard being able to cover uh, both ways. So... Also, from a size perspective, the team's pretty large. I think Bradley Beal is the shortest person on that team at like 6'4", 6'5". So uh, pretty pretty tall, lanky team that can get up and down. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see. I think that um, as far as like the rosters are constructed, this has to be one of my favorite all-star matchups in recent years. What's going to be interesting is the level of motivation that the players play with. We know that a lot of the players have been criticizing the all-star game happening at all. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of effort level they show up with. But from a strictly on paper talent matchup standpoint, as a fan, I don't know how you can't be excited about this year's All-Star game. Yeah, I also just love that they're keeping the Kobe format. I think that it did increase the level of competition last year. And it also just keeps things interesting throughout the game rather than it being a typical 200 point blowout that we've seen in recent years. I agree. Uh, But moving on from the main all-star game, who do you have as your early picks to make some of the other all-star weekend events, such as the three-point contest and the dunk contest? 
Yeah, I'm going to start with the three-point contest. Uh, here are some of the people who I hope are in the three-point contest. So some of your familiar faces, I have Steph Curry going back. I think he goes every single year. Um, he obviously just enjoys shooting threes. He is the second all-time leading three-point shooter. Second, I have the Mr. Snubman himself, Damian Lillard. I think that he wants to probably walk in there and win that, uh, given that he just wants to show everybody he's just as prolific of a shooter as Steph, so it'd be cool to see those two in the finals. Paul George, I think he's trying to reclaim that he is an excellent shooter, especially from the perimeter, so what a better way than showing it in the three-point contest. Uh, and Joe Harris has similarly been there for the last couple of years, so I think he'll, he'll want to get back there as well. I have two others that I think uh, one of them has been in there before and is probably known as the sharpshooter of the NBA right now, and that's Duncan Robinson. Um, he's had a couple off games as of late, but he has such a quick release, and everybody talks about him being such a threat from deep. So Duncan, I see him going back this year. And then Fred Van Vliet, uh, he has had a very, very, very good year all year. Um, since signing that large contract, I think it was uh, four years, 84 million, if I'm not mistaken. And one of the games that he had, he almost set the record for three-pointers made. So I think he'll have a opportunity to go to a three-point contest and win. Of those people, my early pick would be Damian Lillard, just coming in there with that chip on his shoulder and trying to show everyone like it's game time. Uh, my underdog pick for this would be Van Vliet again just having a quietly good year after signing that contract deal and would kind of cement that, hey, um, I'm one of the best shooters, best playmakers around with winning that. How about you? Yeah, honestly, I think that you pretty much hit the nail on the head on a lot of the favorites to be coming out of this is victorious. I think that Damian Lillard obviously plays with a perennial chip on his shoulder. So if it's going to be me, I think that I'd pick Damian Lillard to win it just because if this guy can hit three-pointers from almost half court when it matters on crunch time situations, I have confidence that he'll be able to hit them with no defense when it matters. So I think that um, he's going to capitalize on those money balls, which we've seen in, uh, in the past, the money ball for the three-point contest. Whether you can hit those or not, a lot of times that will decide if you can win. And I think that that clutch factor is going to be what pushes him over the top. Conversely, though, you can't really count out someone like a Joe Harris. What Joe Harris is doing this year is pretty incredible. His three-point percentage is 50%. That's insane because he is taking 6.63s per game. To be shooting 50% at that clip is ridiculous. I just don't know that it's going to translate to a win at the three-point shootout. Marcus Morris Sr. Um, has been surprising from three-point range this year. 50% as well on five attempts, but I don't think he'll make it to this contest. Duncan Robinson, as much as he's a sharpshooter and has that reputation, I don't know if he'll even make it to the three-point contest this year. Just because the Heat have been playing so poorly, I don't know if he'll get enough of a narrative to be invited, especially with all the other big names that you mentioned. We haven't even talked about someone like Jamal Murray, who just, I mean, we'll talk about him a little bit later on the pod, but he just hit eight of 10 from three the other night. So on any given night, he could potentially do it. Um, but I'm still going to go ahead and take Damian Lillard to walk away with the victory on this one. In yeah, terms of the other. See, 
Well, I would love to see though them just put like a like three brick players in there. Like they just threw like Dwight <laughs> Howard, Hassan Whiteside, like these guys who cannot make a oh Ben Simmons, uh, who can't make a three to save their lives just for for giggles, just to see. All right, like can, can they make ten points? Do you think? Honestly, um, I would have loved to see it, man. That's honestly hilarious. But you got to think about how those players would react to being selected for that game. But you There's know what's like wild? Ways it can go. But you know what's wild is I went to a Dwight Howard camp when I was younger, and Dwight Howard was shooting threes left-handed and draining them. Like those guys can shoot when it's not a game time situation. Like they are professional basketball players. So I think it's part of the game plan for them not to shoot, but overall like these guys can drain it from certain areas so yeah it could go one of two ways they could brick everything and they're obviously not going to be as clean as a Steph or a game but they could get on a hot streak and make an entire basket or two uh and, and at least show like yo i got some range honestly i think it would be so much fun for the fans because as you alluded to it is it's completely accurate that a lot of these guys that have reputations as complete non-shooters actually can shoot threes better than anyone would ever imagine. Like Shaquille O'Neal, for example, I know that he was a guy that when he was just shooting in the gym could knock down threes with consistent regularity. But in game, it's a lot of other factors that go into it. When you're a big guy, especially, a lot of times your release is a little bit slower. You need a little bit more time to get set and get your shot off. And in NBA games, it's harder to do. But I think it'd be a lot of fun. And you could probably make it so that players would want to do it. What I was saying earlier was I, I think that maybe some players might take offense to being nominated for such a game. It depends on who you are. If you're Dwight Howard, I think that you'd think it was funny and you'd go in there with a positive attitude and you'd have fun with it, regardless of what happens. If you're someone like a Ben Simmons, I think you might be offended and you might be like, what, you're saying I can't shoot? You might take it as a slight on your game. So I think you can maybe mitigate that by making it some type of charity event where whichever of the brick shooters can lay the fewest bricks and win can donate some amount to the charity of their choice. So I think that's how you can get around the, the negative aspect of it. But I think it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be awesome if they could do something like that. Yeah, I think for those big guys though, you have to think that they're like, is it better for me to score two pointers with 60 to 70% field goal percentage or is it better for me to score a three pointer with 20% and it's probably the former. Oh, obviously you can't blame them. Yeah. Yeah. Can't All right, moving them. on. Who do you got for the dunk contest? Uh, I mean, if I had my pick and I knew that the rims were completely reinforced and that he were actually going to do it, I would pick Zion. I mean, this guy is just going to have, if he were to actually compete, it'd be really hard to beat him just because of the wow factor from a physics standpoint of seeing a guy that literally weighs 280 pounds fly over 40 inch vertical leap there is no one no matter how cool of a dunk you could do if zion, if zion does that same dunk it's going to look way more thunderous way more dramatic and way more powerful when he does it so i feel like it's his game to win he has the ability to essentially match any dunk that any other dunker can do but it'll look cooler when he does it just because of the vert the size the power and the thunder when he comes down with it so I mean, I think for me, if he can beat, he's a lock to win it. Yeah, I, I think Zion uh, could potentially be a lock to win it. Um, but I have a few others that I'd love to see in it. Um, and a lot, a lot of them are young guys. I think 
We just saw, and we'll talk about later, Anthony Edwards has put a few people on a poster. I would love to see him uh, level up for the dunk contest and throw some hammers down. Um, Derek Jones Jr. will come out of his bag and show how good of a dunker he is year in and year out. So I think he'll he'll do an excellent job as well. Uh, John Collins. He has to go. He won last year. Who, Derek? Yeah, he has to go. He won last year. He has to be in the contest. Yeah. Um, John Collins, I just – he was in it a couple years ago. I think that he just – gets better and better and Trey Young will do a nice little uh, dime assist to, to lob it up there for him. So I, I think that, that would be pretty to see. Similar scenario, Miles Bridges has put some people on notice with his dunks. I know he also competed several years ago, but he seemingly has gotten better uh, this year. So I think with him going, he can have Lamelo with all the hype that Lamelo gets do some nice dimes uh, to him and some creative stuff. And like you said, Zion Williamson would be amazing to see him in the dunk contest. So those would be my ideal five. I think there is a sixth spot. So I want to throw this name out there. This guy has had the best three-point year of his life and would be the oldest to win the dunk contest by far. And we have been yearning for him to compete in either of these things. LeBron. Come to the dunk contest, man. Come do the three-point contest. You are still throwing it down. And you would get tens from everybody, even if you did a regular little windmill dunk. I wonder why he has never wanted to do it. It's so crazy to me because this is a guy that seemingly loves the spotlight. I mean, before this year, before all the COVID stuff, LeBron lived for All-Star Weekend. He seemed to be the kind of player that would embrace being the centerpiece of that weekend. I'm shocked that in his entire career, he has never competed in a single dunk contest. It blows my mind. But before we move like on this from the storyline, though, of oh. him coming and saying, like, I'm going to do it now. I'm the oldest guy to ever have done it by, like, I think Dwight Howard was the oldest to do it last year at 34. LeBron is 36. So he'd be two years older than the guy who's done it at, like, his oldest age. But if he wins it, then I'm pretty sure he's the oldest by like five or six or seven years. So if that's the case, then he, he by far and away would just be like one of the best dunk contest winners. So I, I feel like if anything, not, that hey, would be a great storyline for him. For I'm not saying he can't win it. It would be a great storyline. I just think that you better hold your breath for it because if this guy wouldn't do it when he was younger and in his prime, I especially don't think he's going to do it now, especially – with Anthony Davis missing time and him having to conserve his health or whatever his excuse yeah, may be for why he doesn't want to do it, but it would be great. I to don't see think it. he'll do it just because of the fact that he hates All Star Weekend right now and he doesn't think that it should be happening. So he's just like that too. Continue to participate more and more. But anyways, moving on to some of the uh, other storylines around the league, not All Star related. Speaking of LeBron James. Scores 35,000 points and is now only one of three players in NBA history to do it, along with Kareem and Karl Malone. How do you feel LeBron James is as a scorer compared to the all-time greats, and where do you think that he'll finish on the list? Honestly, I have to give him this credit. LeBron James is a guy that, for the most part in his career, has been considered more of like an all-around player than 
a straight up pure scorer. I think most people would still say that Michael Jordan is a better pure scorer than LeBron James and Kobe Bryant or any of LeBron James's longevity and his ability to stay healthy for as long as he has. A lot of times these kinds of lists are going to come down to who can stay healthy and who can put in the most seasons of high production over a long period of time. Like for example, Carl Malone is a guy that I don't think many people would consider, you know, a top five player of all time or a top five scorer of all time. I don't think anyone would say that, but he's number two on the list just because he was able to stay healthy for many, many years and put up consistent production for many, many years. But I wouldn't pick Carl Malone over Jordan as, as a top scorer. So I think that for LeBron James, every year he's gotten better. Every year he's added new aspects to his game and he's worked really diligently and really hard to cover up any weaknesses in this offensive game to the point where at this point in his career, I don't think that you could say he has any like major voids. He definitely doesn't have any weaknesses in his game per se. Um, and I think that he is at the very least above average in every offensive aspect of the game. Is he 10 out of 10 elite in every offensive aspect of the game? I don't think so. I still think that someone like even a Kevin Durant might be a better overall offensive talent than LeBron James, even if he never winds up as high as him on the scoring list. But you got to give him his credit. He is definitely a top five scorer of all time compared to anyone, um, regardless of, of uh, what scoring metric you want to look at on offense. So credit to LeBron. I think that in the end, he'll probably finish number two. I don't know that he'll catch Kareem. I mean, he's got 3,000... 387 more to go to catch Kareem. So it's definitely possible. I think if he wanted to, he could, but it just depends on his level of motivation. Does he want to play that long? He'd probably need about three more seasons of getting at least 18 points a game to do it. So it's within the realm of possibility, um, but I'm going to go ahead and pick him to finish second. Yeah, I think you, you hit a lot of the points that I would have hit. Um, people that I've seen him as an all-around player, but I think he does want to go down. Uh, he's not going to be able to catch John Stockton for number one in assists. Stockton had some ridiculous seasons of like 15 assists per season for a stretch. So LeBron would have to have similarly, like he would have to give up the scoring title to get the assist title and play for probably like five to 10 more years. But I absolutely think he's going to finish number one. He, at the end of the season, will be only like 2,000 points shy of getting there. And he at least is going to play two more seasons after this one with his extension with the Lakers. So if he, for the last, let's see, five seasons has gotten 1,900, 1,900, 1,200, 1,500, 1,700 in a short season, like he's averaging essentially 1,800 to 2,000 points a season. Um, he's going to probably get that season as well somewhere around there so if he's getting that every season um and he still is gonna at least play two more seasons plus probably the one if lebron jr uh comes in to, to, to play in the nba as well so he has at least i think three to four more seasons left given his scoring output he i think he's going to get to forty thousand points be the number one scorer only person at forty thousand points and it's going to be very difficult for anybody to catch up to him because even the prolific scorers of today, like Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry have missed a year of their prime. So I don't know that they're going to be able to, to get there like LeBron has because LeBron. Not to mention the other aspect too is 
LeBron James, if he does get to 40,000, like you're predicting, I don't think they'll ever catch him, period, just because the era of going to the NBA straight out of high school is gone. So all those seasons that LeBron was able to get straight out of high school, people are having to now spend those seasons in college. So I think that it's going to be really tough to catch him regardless just because of that, too. He had the, the option to enter the league much younger than most people are going to be able to going forward. Yeah, the only person that I can see catching him right now, unless they do change the high school rule, the only person that I can see catching him right now is Luca. If he keeps up his 27, 28 points per game for the rest of his career. And stays, stays healthy every year. In, yeah, and stays healthy every year, at least plays 70 to 80 games a year, and is doing so on, like, you know, his normal output and stays in the league for 20 years like Dirk. Um, I could see Luca passing him eventually, but that's the only person I see right now that could potentially pass LeBron. Because all the other yeah, guys, I like agree. James Harden, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, either had off years to start or just had a slow like, go about starting and then picked it up. But then since then, I've also had injuries or things that have kept them out. So I just, I, I, I don't see that consistent level of production out of them. Um, but moving on, Chris Paul passes Oscar Robinson, Robertson for sixth all-time on the career assist list. Where do you think that he ranks among the greatest passers of all time, and where do you think he'll finish on that list? Honestly, Chris Paul is an incredible player. Um, I remember when he first came in, when he was in NOLA, and he was leading them in the playoffs. He was actually an even more impressive player than most people in the that most people that are currently watching the NBA today remember. He had this different gear of explosiveness and athleticism at the beginning of his career, where this guy was averaging like 36 points per game in a playoff series, also getting over 10 assists and putting up triple doubles with pretty high regularity for a point guard. And then he had that ace and his athleticism took a hit. They didn't think that he would ever be the same, but he honestly did adapt. He wasn't quite the same explosive driver and attacker, but he became a mid-range sniper and he learned how to set up his entire offensive game around reading defenses and controlling the pace of the game and using what he had to set up his teammates as well. So I think that he's one of the most cerebral players to ever play the game. His IQ level is probably top five of all time, maybe top two, maybe top one brain in the game. He's just a floor general in every sense. And I know that he's six or uh, six all time right now, but he's really close to Magic Johnson. He's got 9,888. Magic Johnson's got 10,141. So he'll be passing Magic Johnson in very short time. And ahead of Magic Johnson, Mark Jackson, Steve Nash, those guys are only ahead of Magic Johnson by about 200 assists. So he'll definitely pass those guys too. Um, when it's all said and done, he should at the very worst finish third all time in career assists behind Jason Kidd and John Stockton. And as you mentioned, I don't think anyone will ever pass John Stockton. Um, I think that you're gonna have to give him number one of all time forever. I don't know that anyone will ever pass that, but I think that you can't say that Chris Paul is not a top three point guard of all time. 
in terms of distributing ability. I think he's a top three playmaker of all time. So, and that's where I think he'll finish too. I think he'll finish third all time in assists. I, yeah, I agree with you on a lot of your points. I think that um, Chris Paul is a magical player and he, especially after last year and his passing, I know people talked about it, but it would have been amazing to see Chris and Kobe together and what they could have done if that trade wasn't vetoed by David Stern. Um, but I think that I, I see the same thing you do in terms of this chart. I think Chris Paul has the ability to pass Magic Johnson, Mark Jackson, and Steve Nash this year, potentially, if he continues his prolific performance. If at worst, he's going to be very close, if not fully passing Magic Johnson. Um, but I do think that Chris Paul has some good years ahead of him. He, just like LeBron, is seemingly not aging, or at least aging gracefully uh, enough that he can continue this high level of performance. So I think that Chris Paul ends up third, like you're saying. I do, though, think he finishes third, but I think he retires before LeBron. And I think that LeBron gets anywhere from 500 to 700 assists per season. So right now, LeBron is only trailing him by about 300 assists. So I think LeBron is going to be fourth when Chris Paul retires. And LeBron's going to play longer than Chris Paul and pass Chris Paul in his final season or two. So I think LeBron is going to be gunning for at least that third spot but if depending on how long lebron plays if he does play longer and just becomes more of that distributor and not caring about scoring once he has forty thousand, i think lebron could end up being number three or supplanting kids going number two honestly yeah i, I never really thought about it about it like that but you're right lebron is knocking on the door as well for those yeah he's right right behind those guys all right Moving to some of the young guys, Jamal Murray and Embiid scored career highs. Both of them put up 50 points. Like I said, career highs. Which player do you feel had the better game? And then also, which would you rather have to build a team around? Oof. Okay, this one is tough. They both had incredible games, monster games. I guess I'm going to go ahead and give it to Jamal Murray on performance just because he scored 50 points on 84% shooting. You can't really, you can't really match that level of shooting. You, there's no way you can compete with that. 21 of 25, he missed four shots the whole game. That's like half the production of an entire team, but you only miss four shots. That's nuts. Eight of 10 from three. He's the only player in NBA history to drop 50 points and also shoot over 80%. He's also the only player in NBA history to score 50 points while also not shooting a single free throw. Not one free throw. Everything was just cash, makes. The guy didn't miss a single thing. He had six rebounds, you know, chipped in a couple rebounds, two assists, two steals, one turnover. Basically, he didn't really give you that much else outside of amazing scoring, but he didn't turn it over. He had a plus 24 on the game, which is better than Joel Embiid's very, very impressive plus 22. And I think overall, they both got the win. So you got to give it to Jamal Murray. Embiid did have a probably a more all-around performance. He had 50 points with also 17 rebounds, four blocks, two steals, had more of a defensive impact. 
but he did get his 50 points with 15 of 17 from the free throw line. So he did have a lot of help from the free throw. You got to give him his credit for making them. But I just think what Jamal Murray did is extremely impressive. And it's just a harder thing to do. Think about it. If you had to try to reproduce one of these performances in the video game, which one would you be having a harder time doing? Probably the Jamal Murray one. And I think that Jamal Murray, another thing about him, when you look at this guy, you don't look at a guy that seems like he can score 50 or do some of the athletic feats that he can. I'm always impressed when I see a box score and Jamal Murray has like 50 points and eight threes. I just can't believe that he's putting up this kind of production. The Nuggets hit a home run with this guy. No one thought that Jamal Murray would turn out this way. But as good as he is, I still would take Joel Embiid as the foundational piece to build around if we're talking about building a franchise just because although Jamal Murray does have the potential to at any point explode for 50 points and he can even do it in the playoffs, he can make shots that have a very high degree of difficulty. He can make the clutch shot. He is not as consistent as Embiid is. You still have occasional games where Jamal Murray has a down game and he doesn't really affect the game on the defensive side the same way. And if you're looking at just his averages on the year, Jamal Murray's putting up 20 points a game, 4.4 rebounds and 4.4 assists. So even though when he's giving you peak Jamal Murray, it's about as elite as anyone else can put up on average, he's not the same kind of player that Joel Embiid is on a night to night basis. So I would still probably take Embiid to build around. Well, you took a lot of my points. Uh, I will say, though, Jamal Murray is actually one of two players to shoot over 80% and score 50 points in a game. Will Chamberlain did so in 1967, shot 87% in a 53-point game. But Jamal Murray, like you said, extremely efficient. Either the refs didn't want to give him any calls or he was just that untouchable because you got to think, oh, this guy shoots 25 times, 10 of them from beyond the arc. And no one got in his face to foul him on his 21 makes or eight of those from three. No one. So he was that crafty the entire night that nobody touched him hard enough to warrant the foul and was still able to score over 50. So incredible what he did, extremely shifty on his part. Also speaks to, I think, the passing ability of that entire Nuggets team and the offense that Malone has them running. Um, I will agree with you, though, on the Joel Embiid part. More complete player, in my opinion. Um, it's crazy to think how far Joel Embiid has grown from his foot injuries that he had that were nagging for the first couple of years because people were like, oh, the 76ers draft another big man who's going to be injured, all this stuff. And he's clearly the heart and soul of that team. Um, and Jamal Murray, while he is great, he isn't the star of that team. It's Jokic. So I think that with the league going away from big men and now with big men opening up these different areas and facets of their game, I think it's going to be a shift back towards big men. And there's just that ebb and flow that you see. So given where I think the league is headed with their bigger uh, guys like Jokic, Antetokounmpo, um, Joel Embiid, and those guys, I think that Joel Embiid is just the better person to build your team around right now and the better person to build your team around as the league shifts more towards that style of player. I agree, man. And before we move on from Embiid, just think about this. There was a time, even at the start of this season, where we were arguing or debating 
was Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons the leader of that team? Which one do you want? Which one would you trade if you had to blow it up? Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid? I mean, Joel Embiid has had such a breakout. That one, I think you might have been arguing that one in your head because I, I clearly just don't think Ben Simmons is a good player. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I know that you may, you may feel very strongly about that, but I mean, there was a general discussion, not just me, but like a general narrative about yeah. these two guys and whether they can coexist and which one is the franchise cornerstone, which is the main guy that they should keep if they have to trade one, which is going to be the main leader of the team. There was a narrative going on about it. I know you have never liked Ben Simmons, but there was a narrative about it. And it seems like Joel Embiid with his play this year has completely shut the narrative down. Nobody even talks about Ben Simmons, really. Everyone knows that's Embiid's team. And even Ben Simmons will probably say it at this point. What he's doing is actually incredible. The leap that Embiid has taken this year, it's just almost worthy of most improved player. It's that, it's that big. We have a guy who is now averaging 30.5 points per game. He averaged 23 points per game last year. This is a guy that is getting 1.3 steals per game. He never averaged more than one steal per game the rest of his career. He's getting 1.3 blocks per game. He's getting 3.2 assists per game and 11 rebounds per game. The guy is shooting 85% from the free throw line. So like most big men who are liabilities at the line, not a problem here. He's shooting 40% from three after shooting no better than 33% last year. I mean, 54% from the field. The guy is leading the league in efficiency in PER. He is probably a top three candidate for MVP. I honestly am extremely impressed with the guy, and you've got to give the Sixers credit. They're a team that going into the season, a lot of people were talking about, are they going to blow it up? They have to blow this up. New coach, some new pieces, and they've figured it out. And a lot of it is largely in part because of Embiid's performance and play, allowing them to find an identity and rally behind his MVP caliber play. So all the props in the world to Embiid. I think that he is showing the Sixers fans that they were right in trusting the process after all. Yeah, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. The Sixers will never win a championship with Ben Simmons on their roster. So I hope the guy, uh, like I wish him the best. I hope he continues to improve. I hope he never gets injured. Um, but if he's away from the team for any reason during the playoffs, I think they have a better chance of winning without him than they do. Moving on, <laughs> star injuries, uh, KD and AD are both missing time for their teams, which is potentially impacting each team negatively. Whose team do you think is hurting more? I'm actually going to start on this one. I think we've talked about Brooklyn's depth, and I have felt that KD potentially would be a bigger detriment to the team, but it seems like Kyrie and James Harden have figured this out with their whole conversation about who is point guard versus who is shooting guard. Like they understand their roles and they're playing extremely well without KD. And sometimes I forget KD's even on that team when he's not playing. So I would have said KD probably two weeks ago, but I think with the minutes and the toll that uh, the game is taking on LeBron without having a bona fide second option on that team. Kuzma is kind of getting back to the Kuzma lease, you know, but he's still not like their default second or third option. So 
I think that AD being out is hurting the team way more than KD being out. Although the Lakers may be deeper, uh, I think that Brooklyn's players are just playing longer minutes and they're like, hey, we can handle it. We, we can only, we can use an eight person rotation and still win games. So it's not really a worry for us. Um, I, we'll see if that happens for the long haul, but KD can continue to sit out. I think it's not going to hurt the Nets. Yeah, honestly, I agree with what you're saying. Um, and not to mention, Katie's injury was not expected to be anything serious. Steve Nash came out and said he thought it was going to be pretty minor. They haven't really come out and put a set timetable on his return because they're expecting it to be more of a day-to-day thing. And they're expecting him to return sooner than later. And the Nets are also on a five-game winning streak right now, as you pointed out. They have seemingly figured it out. They're winning games. The Lakers have also been winning games, but... I think as we saw last night with the Heat, they're going to miss Anthony Davis. And I did say this before at the very beginning of the season, I thought the Lakers this year were going to start out pretty strong, but might run into issues around this point in the season heading towards the midpoint because they have two players right now that they're relying on. One, age 36, LeBron, who as healthy as he is, for the most part, has played with manageable minutes the past couple seasons. And Anthony Davis, a guy who has always had a long injury history. They had a long, deep playoff run last year. They had a short offseason, and they jumped right into the season this year. I thought that they might run into some injury issues, and I did remember saying that if either one of these two guys went down for an extended period of time, it could have a really serious domino effect for the rest of the team because if either one of those guys go down, it forces the other one to play that many more minutes which really mitigates or really uh, hurts the injury issues that this team is trying to avoid with some aging veteran players in LeBron and Anthony Davis, who you rely on. So I think that right now you're seeing LeBron have to pick up the workload a lot more just because when Anthony Davis isn't in, there's really not a second guy on that team that can get their own shot consistently. Dennis Schroeder is a pretty good offensive player, but they're missing him right now too. So it's forcing LeBron to really, really have to dig in deep and play extra minutes because he's the only guy that can consistently get his own shot. Whereas you have a wealth of options. You have Joe Harris, who's shooting 50% from three, singly knocking down everything he catches. Kyrie Irving at any point can give you 30 on any given night. So can James Harden. Um, Jeff Green is seemingly playing great. They have the Brooklyn Thunder reassembled. I mean, they have, I think it's like former... Yeah, Roberson's back now, too. They have, like, five guys that were on that original Thunders team now. It's Jeff Green, Kevin Durant, Roberson, Harden, and I think one other guy. Uh, they, they're basically the Brooklyn Thunder, but seemingly they're not having too many problems right now. If I'm the Lakers, I'm not too worried because they have a great record, but this could have a really big domino effect if Anthony Davis continues to miss significant time and you continue – to increase LeBron's workload in his minutes, you have to start worrying about how that might affect LeBron, especially going into the playoffs for what's going to likely be a very, very uh, contentious postseason. So and I know it's important for the Lakers to go in there with the number one seed to be able to have favorable matchups so that they can, again, be able to have rest. These are all things that LeBron actually really does care about. So I think that the injury to Anthony Davis is actually a major blow to them. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but moving on from some of those injured guys, we're going to go to our segment, plead their case. I'm going to ask you a series of scenarios. You're going to plead the case of that scenario. You ready to go? Let's do it. Milwaukee snapped a four-game losing skid, but it was to a Thunder team they lost to five nights prior. Plead their case on why Milwaukee should not be worried about their recent losing streak. Well, they did have a pretty bad losing streak, but they're still number one in the East Central standings. They still have a 17-13 and 13 record overall, and they're still the third seed overall. So it's pretty impressive to be able to say, that the Milwaukee Bucks are able to lose five games or four games in a row, whatever the case may be, and still have the third seed overall. I think it speaks to probably the quality of the East a little bit more than it does to the quality of the Bucks. But basically, it means the Bucks have time to figure out whatever was causing that losing streak. They clearly had success earlier in the year, so they just have to get back to what was winning them games before. They have still probably one of the two best players in the entire conference. And again, they still have the third seed in the East. They're not in danger of falling out of the playoffs or anything like that. It's still pretty early in the year. And I think that they're still going to go into the playoffs with confidence. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's too much to worry about. Obviously, if you pull together a couple four game losing skids, then that's when you should start to worry. But with how weak the East has been to be over 500, you're in a good spot. Moving on, Anthony Edwards being charged with the murder of Utah Watanabe after his vicious poster, earning the Timberwolves some rare positive publicity. Put their case on why it seems Anthony Edwards may have actually been the right choice with the number one pick after all. So this season, I think everybody pretty much has it as a foregone conclusion that LaMelo Ball is going to win the rookie of the year. And there probably is a pretty good chance that that's going to wind up happening. Um, I don't think that any of the rookies at this point is going to make enough growth by the end of the year to catch him. But you have to give Anthony Edwards a little bit of credit. He has shown progression from the beginning of the year. He is up to now 14.3 points per game, even though it is on horrible shooting percentages, 37.8%. He's just chucking up shots. But he is putting up highlights like the one that you just mentioned that make you think, wow, like, there's not a whole lot of players in the NBA that can dunk on somebody like that. There are not too many players that can do that. And if you're going just on raw potential, you do have to give Anthony Edwards the number one pick if you're picking based on that, because he does have a higher ceiling than LaMelo Ball does. There's no way LaMelo Ball is ever going to be able to do some of the things that Anthony Edwards has shown flashes of. But the question with Anthony Edwards is, will he ever be able to do those things on a consistent basis? Can he ever string enough, enough good plays together consecutively to become a consistently good player? Or will he just be a J.R. Smith type of guy early in his career where he shows flashes, where he erupts and does something jaw-dropping every couple games, but then he'll follow it up with a stinker the day after. So... It still remains to be seen um, what he's going to be, but he definitely has shown flashes of what a number one pick should look like. So I can understand their logic sometimes, when you, especially when you see highlights like that. Yeah, and I hope Anthony Edwards continues to get better on a new team once the Timberwolves fire sale and trade everybody from it. 
Moving on, Jordan Clarkson is seemingly everyone's sixth man of the year. He's really running away with it. And the Jazz's great play this year, I believe they're 24 and 6, leading the West right now. Plead his case on why he is sixth man of the year. Well, you have the number one team in the NBA. And this guy is a large reason why, because their bench production because of Jordan Clarkson has been excellent. This guy's giving you 18 points off the bench on great efficiency. His PER is 19.20, which is really great for a bench player. He has no qualms about shooting the ball. He wants to score. He goes in there with the mindset of immediately, I'm a spark plug. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to produce. I'm going to shoot. He shoots 95% from the free throw line. He's a really great three-point shooter and a three-point shooter off the dribble too. He doesn't always have to just be a spot up off the catch guy. He can get his own shot, 45% from the field. This is a guy that the Lakers bailed on. Um, everyone basically forgot about this guy. And it seems like the last time anyone ever heard about Jordan Clarkson before this year was when he was in the headlines for being one of the 20 guys in the NBA that Kendall Jenner's with. But this year, he's really shown that he is a talented offensive player. And I think that he's a major asset to this team. The guy literally scored 40 points off the bench recently this year. Um, I don't know if anyone else has had a bigger game off the bench so far. So I think it's his to lose for sure. Yeah, he has been stellar this year. And it, his deal seems like a bargain that they signed him to. Um, so getting Jordan Clarkson and having him on that team really provided the Jazz the spark that they needed to be in the position that they are. And you hope that their success continues because a place like Utah that had so many good years with Stockton and Malone to have never won a championship, you think that they're thinking that they're going to get back there this year. I still think they're an early exit, but good to see them uh, have some players that are in some contention for awards. And you think, I think Quinn Snyder's probably going to win Coach of the Year as well. Moving I mean, on. He definitely might. He definitely might. The other aspect, too, before we move on to the last one, the Jazz have been missing, actually, a guy like you said Jazz are always an early exit team, and I agree with you, but they actually might be a little bit more interesting to watch this year just because Jordan Clarkson does give them an element they've never had before. Every year in the playoffs, and I've said this many times, they always relied on Rudy Gobert to be their next best offensive player after Donovan Mitchell. It's not going to cut it. He can't score in enough ways. He's not versatile enough. Mike Conley is a nice piece, but he's not what he used to be when he was in his prime. I think that Jordan Clarkson gives them actually a very unique, interesting new element that the Jazz have been missing in the past couple playoff runs to give them another player alongside Donovan Mitchell who can score from all three levels, dribble, drive, get his own shot. I think that that's going to be huge for them when it comes to the playoffs and teams focusing on game plans and strategy more. So it'll be interesting to see. I think definitely – um, six man of the year is a lock for him, but it's going to have even bigger implications for the Jazz in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. Now moving on to Marcus Cousins. Surprisingly, is parting way with the Rockets. Rockets guaranteed his salary recently, but they said they did it because of his professionalism, his tact throughout the entire process. So I expect the big man is going to have many suitors. Pick a suitor of your choice and plead their case on why DeMarcus should sign there. I'm really shocked that DeMarcus Cousins is coming um, available before someone like an Andre Drummond. But I think that, unfortunately, rumblings are coming around that he's probably going to be joining the Lakers. I can see there being a need for him 
just because I know that Anthony Davis this year, he's not having one of his healthy years. This could very well be the kind of year where Anthony Davis is going to be in and out the entire time because the injury that he has is one of those nagging ones. That Achilles injury, you never know how long it's actually going to take to heal. And you never know when you come back how many games you can play without re-aggravating it. So I think that DeMarcus Cousins would provide the Lakers with some much-needed insurance um, for a big man that can kind of plug the void slightly that Anthony Davis is leaving and also give them a veteran guy with mental toughness that I think would fit in well with their veteran lineups for, uh, for a deep playoff run. We know DeMarcus Cousins, obviously, at this point in his career, he's going to be pretty much only considering teams that are likely going to be uh, competitive in the playoffs. And that's likely why he probably won't be going to my favorite pick for him, which would have been the Heat. I would have loved to see him on a team like the Heat just because it makes a lot of sense for them also. The Heat are a team that played the Lakers in the finals last year. And if you saw that matchup between the Lakers and the Heat, one of the biggest voids the Heat had against the Lakers was rebounding and general lack of production from big men outside of Bam Adebayo. Every time Bam sat, the drop-off to the next big guy was massive. And the Heat seemed to try their best to mitigate that by drafting Precious Achua in the draft. But he hasn't really gotten consistent minutes and consistent production because to this point, he's still very much playing like a rookie. He gives you uh, production that makes you excited about what he could be in the future. But it seems that he still has mental lapses on defense and offense um, to where you probably can't trust him to get consistent minutes in the playoffs. I think DeMarcus Cousins would be a great addition for them, bring some much-needed veteran toughness to their interior. He's shown the ability to spread the ball um, from three this year on catch-and-shoot situations. He's not a dead eye, but he can spread it out from out there. Um, and I think that he'd be a major upgrade to the Heat over Kelly Olynyk in their starting lineup. They're literally starting Kelly Olynyk right now. And this is not, you know, an insult to him. He's a fine player and all that. But I don't think that anyone would envision Kelly Olynyk starting for them as a best case scenario. So I think they'd be better off with a guy like DeMarcus. I would love for him to be on the Heat, but I think ultimately he winds up with the Lakers. Yeah, you also, I mean, I think that DeMarcus, yes, he is going to be wanting a ring and he wants to be on a team that potentially is going to get a ring. I think he technically did get one from the Lakers given that he was on them last year uh, to start the season. I don't know if they they gave him that or not, but I look at DeMarcus's situation as I think he's still 31 years old. So he's trying to prove like, yo guys, I have some juice in the tank. I can absolutely play great minutes. And on top of that, like I want to win. And I've been like, people talked about my attitude before. I've been selfless on these teams. Look at what the Rockets did for me. So I look at it as, yes, I want to win, but I also need to go to a team that needs a big man and is going to give me many minutes, regardless of who is healthy or not. So as I look to teams in the league that have that formula, I see the heat as being one of them. I see him potentially going back to Golden State as one of them because Weissman has been in and out and they don't really have a solid center option there. But the Golden State Warriors are still in the AC even with their two-game losing skid. So he obviously has some good ties there. You mentioned the Lakers. I also think that um, he has the potential to – well, he used to have the potential to go to the Nets, but – 
Ken and James Harden, I'm sure, do not like each other after their short period of time huh. together. That's well, true. That would be an awkward reunion, wouldn't it? It would be a very awkward reunion. So I do not see that happening, even though the Nets could totally use somebody like him. I also see the Celtics as being a potential option for him because the Celtics do not have a solidified big man rotation. I feel like they've needed that rebounding and potential scoring lift. Um, so the Celtics... Tristan Thompson has been as underwhelming as, as, uh, as expected. Yep. So I, I think that the Celtics, the Heat, uh, the Lakers, or the Warriors would be great spots for him in terms of being able to provide him that ring opportunity, but also with the case of the Celtics and the Heat, as well as the Warriors. Those are all three spots where I think more so than the Lakers, he will be able to play more minutes, especially on the Heat. So I think he really does need to look for somewhere where he can play 15 plus minutes a game and potentially get a starting spot, depending on his play, because he wants to parlay this. I know. And he wants to parlay this into getting mid-level money for the rest of like the next five years. If he can oh, then he, he has to go million, to the Heat. Yeah, if he can get eight to ten million a year, he needs to go someplace like that. Because if not, he's going to sign. If he wants to get man. paid, he has to go there. Yep. Yeah. It, because it, the thing is, not, too... go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's not he's going to sign for the vet men. And if he signs for the vet men, he's going to be stuck at vet men for the rest of his career. He's not. He, he needs to be on a prove-it deal that's going to give him some money now. And the Heat have, I believe, either the biannual exception or a disability exception that they have that they can give to him. So I think the Heat make the most sense from a minutes and money standpoint, as well as the weak East Conference potential for him to, uh, you know, get to a championship or at least get deep into the playoffs. I agree. Honestly, I really hope that it works out for him because it really is unfortunate. We're talking about a guy that back before he got hurt. Yeah. I mean, it's it. I don't know that it will get the chance just because um, he won't, but I'm saying both of them were on the path to max contract status. Yes. Both Both got hurt right before injury right before it. And both ended up losing out on pretty much a hundred million dollars. Like both it's of those horrible. cost the timing. at least a hundred million dollars. The timing couldn't be any worse for him. It, it really does suck right before. And the guy was averaging nearly 27 points a game. He was playing some of his best basketball right before it happened. Then you see him come back just to get hurt again and go out again. And here he is trying to fight back to prove that he can be healthy and, and productive. I really am rooting for this guy. He used to be such a productive player, and he's still pretty young, 31 years old. Um, but like you said, I think that ultimately, if he wants to get paid and earn another contract more so than try to just get a championship guaranteed, it has to be the Heat because out of all the teams you mentioned, I don't know that he would start for any of the other ones, even the Celtics. The Celtics would probably still start Tice over him. So... I really don't know that there's another situation that would be a better fit in terms of mutual need than that one. Yeah, I agree. Well, with that, it's been a great episode. Can't wait to see what continues to happen within the league. We're getting close to the trade deadline as it uh, approaches March here. So I, one of the best times of the year just to see all the mayhem that goes around that. And I do expect there to be some trades, uh, especially with how inflated the market has been with some of these last deals but like us on spotify apple music stitcher bullhorn wherever you get your podcast i'm eric gonzalez and i'm mike stir what is a dread